Brought to you by 3RRR, this is Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg and on the show for you today we have plenty packed in. Uh, Willie Litfest director Lorraine Callow and my nephew's favourite author Andy Griffiths will be ducking in to chat about the festival which kicks off this week in the western suburbs. It's going to be a crazily packed weekend of literary goodness. Um, but very, very soon I'll be joined by author uh, Intan Paramedita who will be discussing her short story collection, Apple and Knife. It's a really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful looking uh, short story collection and a recent translation of Intan's uh, short stories uh, from the original Indonesian uh, and I'm really looking forward to talking to her about that uh, as well as the actual collection which I found incredibly haunting. It's kind of quite a gothic arrangement that ranges from fairy tales to sort of witchcraft to just everyday sort of challenges. Uh, the perspectives seem to be largely kind of you know rich in sort of female characters and it's just really uh, it's something that's quite haunting for me and I'm sure others who've read it. Intan joins me on the line now. Intan, welcome to Backstory. Hi, Mel. How are you? I'm very well. Um, I really love this uh, latest edition of your book. Uh, it's really, I have to say, uh, this is, um, I, I don't often kind of wax lyrical about publishers um, just on their own merit. But I really think that Brow Books um, has done a very beautiful job of all of the books that it's put out. And yours in particular yeah. has such a gorgeous cover and, and wonderful yeah. kind of binding. All of the stories are divided um, by this kind of grayed sort of little section that, that introduces the title, which is sort mm-hmm. of lovely. It's like giving all of them this beautiful introduction. And yet there's a real sense of consistency across um, across the collection. Talk to me about this collection in turn and especially talk to me about what it's like to see it translated in English. Um, yeah, so the story collection is based on uh, two books um, that were published in Indonesia. One was published in 2005 and the other was published in 2010. Um, and so, so some of the stories are quite old. Um, some of them are already 13 years old, um, but I hope they're still <laughs> relevant today. And um, so the motto for this was uh, the, the first short story collection. It's called Sihir uh, Prampuan or Black Magic Woman, which was published in 2005. And basically, at that time, I just wanted to write uh, stories about women, um, basically disobedient women. Um, I guess at that time, I was very much influenced by um, just uh, political changes in Indonesia. We had uh, the political reform, reformasi, in uh, 1998, and then after that, um, a lot of people um, and uh, artists, activists, they wanted to talk about um, what freedom of expression means, um, and uh, there are a lot of cultural initiatives. Um, we talked about um, gay rights, we talked about um, feminist movement, so um, a lot of exciting things happening back then, um, and I guess uh, they 
story collection was uh, part of that uh, political change. Um, yeah, so yeah, I just wanted to to talk about um, uh, women's experiences, and I I'm quite happy that um, the Australian readers could actually connect with the stories, even though uh, most of the stories are set in Indonesia. But I, I perhaps there's some um, universal um, values um, that are. Uh, easily identified. Um, I absolutely think so. I think that there's, and it's interesting um, that they were written over such a broad time period as well, because you do draw in, um, obviously, the political elements are very much there. Um, Mm -hmm. They're quite, though, I mean, like many good stories, uh, the stories aren't living for the political um, element. It's just wound in, um, in this kind of way. I sort of felt like there was something parabolic, uh, you know, parabolic. I'm not quite sure how I should say that, but um, there was Mm. a sense of parable throughout this, but not, you know, not in an overly didactic way. But I sort of had Mm. the feeling that, you know, this collection was started with a, um, a kind of, you know, reimagining of the um, the classic kind of Cinderella tale, if you like, yeah. um, and that um, that sort of set the tone for me quite a lot. Where mm. it was a really the perspective that you drew was from one of the you know the evil stepsisters, um, mm-hmm. or the the one that had one of the the supposedly evil stepsisters because she has a very different view of who she is. And you're you're immediately getting this perspective um, that's kind of filled with pain and real kind of blood and, you know, all sorts of quite visceral stuff. But it does Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, I think really set that kind of universality, um, that feeling of universality that you're going to be getting tales that will cross the boundaries of time and country. Was that a deliberate decision to kind of set things up with that story? Um, actually, um, I, I can't remember, but when, um, so the stories um, that were, so actually my translator, uh, Stephen J. Epstein, and myself, we we kind of talked about what stories we wanted to include from the two books um, into Apple and Knife. And then actually it wasn't the first story in the collection, but then um, our editor from Brow Books, Elizabeth Breyer, Thought, oh, I guess you know if you put that story, um, the the blind woman without a toe, at the beginning, it would really, as you said, set up the tone um, because it's really something familiar for for everyone. It's it's a very famous fairy tale. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's so, really interesting because yeah. if people do wonder what editors do, here's a very fine example yeah. of what they can do. Yeah. So in terms of the translation uh, process. I feel like at the end, Apple and Knife is a collaboration. It, it really shows um, a collaboration between me and Stephen uh, as the translator. And also at, um, towards the, the later stage, um, Elizabeth, uh, um, our editor, really played an important part in you know, making suggestions, um, you know, um, uh, revising, and, and also our uh, proofreader. So it's at the end. I feel like it's it's like um, even though in in literature um, you would uh, you would see the author as as a singular person. It's it's like it's more like a film. You know, it's a collaborative work. 
Yeah, I love that idea. I think, um, you know, I think quite a lot of books are actually collaborations in some respect, but we we really Mm -hmm. very rarely get to kind of see that or hear about it. And it's something on this show that I'm really hoping we can do a lot more of. um, And it's really, you know, it's quite lovely to hear that from your perspective too. And, And hear it as a positive, I guess, rather than then feeling mm-hmm. that, you know, you, you should have your um, authorial voice alone here. Talk to me about what it's like to work with a translator as well, especially one that's, um, that's channeling your voice and your vision. And, um, you know, also, you know, obviously um, working with Stephen Epstein, um, you know, you're getting, you're trying to channel these uh, very kind of female voices. Was mm-hmm. there a discussion about this? How did that work? Um, so, okay, in, in terms of the process, uh, Stephen would send me, um, currently he's also translating my novel. So, so it's a, it's a long time collaboration. So it, it, the process would go like this. He would send me a rough draft of the translation with comments and questions, and I would respond to those comments, giving him suggestions. But it's also the other way around. He would also he would give um, maybe suggestions on very little little details, like word choice, um, which they're small, but I think you know the ch- the choice of words is is very important. And um, so it, it's a collaborative process. We do this. We go back um, back and forth three times, and this is before we work with um, the editor. So it's it's a very intense process and. Um, yeah, I, I think people have been asking me about how, how it feels working with a male translator, with um, um, whereas my book is very female-centered. Um, I guess I am lucky in a way that um, uh, Stephen is very clever and he understands the um, the feminist politics in the book. Um, and I think it's really important to have a translator who understands and appreciates your politics um, um, and who basically has uh, the same vision as you. Um, and it's important to work with someone who is open and not patronizing. Um, I, I guess I am very lucky to, uh, to have a translator um, like Stephen. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3 Triple R. That's the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. And one of those people is Intan Paramedita, who is on the line now to discuss her latest uh, collection, Apple and Knife. Uh, it's a wonderful short story collection translated from the Indonesian. And uh, Intan, I want to talk about some of the individual stories. Are there any that hold a, a particularly special place for you um, in this collection? Um, what do you mean special? Any that terms? you kind of, you know, feel are particularly resonant um, at this point in time. There are those that, I mean, it's a sort of difficult question, I guess, in a collection mm. because, you know, things work as, um, you know, as part of a whole almost um, if, if a collection works well. But are there stories that you find that you gravitate more to over time um, as mm. you read them afresh? Uh, what ones are kind of speaking to you at the moment? Oh, um, so there's this one story about, um, uh, it's called Blood, and this is about a copywriter, um, uh, an Indonesian um, copywriter. She is, um, she lives in Jakarta, so, you know, very much 
urban woman who works in the uh, capitalist industry, and she is asked to um, to design uh, an ad for a female sanitary pad uh, product, and but then at the end she she um, she is more preoccupied with her memories about the past, the death of her mother, and then her connection to blood in general, um, her menstruation. So this is the, the issue of a female body, of you know, sexuality, menstruation. She remembers um, her discussion with her um, Islamic um, Quranic recitation teacher when she was a child about menstruation and the, the, the sin of the body and so on. Um, when I first... Um, uh, when my first collection of st- short story was published, I didn't like the story. I I felt that it was just too vulgar. <laughs> I I thought it was just too too honest. Um, but then uh, Stephen said, "Hey, it's 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 a great story. Let's just include it in the collection." And then my editor said um, that she liked the story as well. And I said, hmm, I'm not sure about it. And then I heard different responses of people. People were shocked about the, um, the, 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 the you, you could say, the blood ghost in the story. Um, and I guess that's um, because people gave me different perspectives of the story. I, I started to see the story differently. Um, sort yeah, of a, it's, I I, yeah. it's a really interesting one because I actually really gravitated to that story as well and it made me mm. think just how scared of, you know, menstruation and blood we still are in some respects. I mean, I think it's still it's still kind of, you know, seen as irky or whatever else. And there's a real, as you say, a blood ghost element in here, but, you know, mm. there's that matrilineal tie going on as well. And I think it's a really interesting element of discomfort that we have with sort of our insides in particular, but also, you know, this idea of, you know, having periods and stuff and that still being something that's weirdly taboo, um, mm. you know. So yeah. it's, a, it's a really, I actually thought that that was a really great inclusion in um in this collection um mm-hmm. i would love to um to talk to you a lot more um about all of this um in town it's really quite an extraordinary collection but i do want to leave you with one question as well um, with a translation um often your you know obviously as you say word choices have to be made perspectives have to be defined have mm-hmm. stories changed for you since um since it's been translated are you seeing the ideas behind them afresh um, are you seeing your stories differently? What happens, um, you know, when you see it in this different language? Are, are you getting? Um, are you getting a different sense of things? Have you got a, a you know refreshed kind of interest in stories? Um, actually, because of um, uh, the translation process and the editing process, these are all very um, intense processes. Um, so I'm. I've always been very close to the story, so I guess the changes, I mean, the, the changes in terms of the perspective, they're kind of gradual. So it's really gradual that I start to see, oh, okay, so I guess this is the value of, of this story for a different kind of audience. And then um, I also realized that, oh, this story is very difficult because it, it is just too local and, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to translate, but um, we'll, we'll try to work on it. So I guess it's, um, there's nothing really surprising 
in the end. But yeah, my I guess my perspectives have changed throughout the whole process. I mean, it's been since the translation uh, began. It's been two years, and I'm I think I'm I'm happy with how um, I learned gradually from here instead of you know like it's it's a it's a sudden surprise. Yeah, that's really it's really interesting to hear about that process and about this wonderful book. Um, I really recommend people spend time with it. You know, I've just got this kind of really uh, wonderfully kind of gothic sensibility um, after mm. reading it, and I would love to to dip back in and spend more time. Um, I'm about to go away for a few days, mm. and I think I'm going to be taking your book with me as well. Intan, thank you oh, so thank much you. for joining us today on Backstory. Thank you so much. That was Intana Paramedita, um, the author of Apple and Knife, uh, a really beautiful collection out through Brow Books who really do do a great line in book covers and design. It's, you know, it's something actually. Um, they say don't judge a book by its cover, but hell of a lot of work goes into covers and um, collections of, of books um, that are put together so nicely are really worth mentioning. Um, you're listening to 3RRR's Backstory And uh, we have plenty more lined up for you coming up in this hour. Uh, We're going to be talking about the Wheelie Lit Fest with the director, Lorraine Callow, and wonderful kids author, Andy Griffiths. Uh, I'm sure my nephews are going to be squeeing uh, knowing that he's come on the show. So uh, stay with us. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. You're a backstory on 3RRR, this show about books, uh, the craft of writing, the people behind the lines. And joining me are some people who know a little bit about literature and stuff like that. Um, the director of the uh, Willie Lit Fest, uh, which is the modern kind of avatar of the Williamstown Literary Festival, which has been going for a decade and a half, I believe, uh, Lorraine Callow, and author Andy Griffiths um, has jo- have joined us in the studio to talk about this amazing event. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much. So... Uh, I would love to talk to you, um, Lorraine, about uh, the recent festival. I've just been looking at it. I'm actually going to be away uh, for some of the time that it's on, which is this weekend. Uh, it's packed, though. There's, uh, I think I read something like 80 events in... 80 authors across about 80 51 authors. events. Yeah, wow. all packed into um, one weekend. It's like a whole year's of literary, a whole year worth of literary goodness all in one weekend. <laughs> That's insane. Um, that must have been one hell of a programming kind of uh, mammoth effort that you've put in. It's, um, it, it is a challenge, but it's well supported by a gorgeous committee of people who help pull, pull it together and great publishers and great authors who are uh, happy to come on board and we're really delighted to, to have such a, a great program. Um, yeah, but it, it's, it's logistically it's quite an interesting challenge, yeah. And it's the sort of program that makes you feel very conflicted because there's so many sessions that you can't go to all of them. There's always these great clashes in it, which is a sign of a great program. Now, Andy, I, uh, I imagine you are going to be one of the featured <coughs> authors at this festival, which, uh, which means that probably my uh, family that live out in the West are probably going to be making their way in to, um, to see, no doubt, you and other amazing authors. Uh, talk a little bit about um, what you're <coughs> going to be uh, talking about at the festival? Uh, well, I do a, 
a Sunday morning session with the kiddies and um, well they do it with me I'm not sure <laughs> um, I'd usually turn up I'm, I'm, I, don't, you know, I'm, I think I can confess this I'll probably be a little hungover from the <laughs> Stereo Stories event the night before there's a fantastic event where writers talk about songs that meant a lot to them and they tell a story and they can be funny or sad or anywhere in between but um, I love that event so I'll be part of that along with Danny Katz and um, Emily Zoe Baker. Um, and then I will front up on Sunday and having 400 children in front of me is better than a coffee uh, <laughs> in terms of, <laughs> oh, here we go. And, um, and I usually just let, they're a very free-ranging session. They just can ask me anything and I may or may not answer them sensibly, uh, but it's always a lot of fun. Now, yeah. Andy Griffiths, you've written just a, an unfathomable number of books. I really, <coughs> I was trying to work it out before. How many books have you actually written? Uh, around 30. 30, 30 books. books, yeah. And obviously the Treehouse series is, is the one. It's overtaken everything now. <laughs> yeah. Juggernaut, we call We're it. The juggernaut that is Andy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's overtaken entire bookshops, um, if I'm not mistaken. They've now been entirely colonised by treehouses. <laughs> yeah, it's as much a surprise to me and Terry as, as anyone. But um, I think we finally reined in some of the excesses and the extremes of our um, of, of our previous books. Oh, sure. The bad books and the day my bum went psycho you know that's a personal favorite i'm sorry the day my bum went psycho classic well there's a little bit of that in the treehouse but it's a much wider kind of range and yeah it's it's such a joy to present to the kids and they all know it chapter and verse so um yeah but it's it's not just me on there we have some other great um children's writers including yeah. who's who's lovely Arabella? Jacqueline Harvey's Jacqueline coming Harvey. down from yeah. Sydney and she's got a, an amazing following with her um Alice Miranda books and she's uh, going to introduce um Melbourne to a new uh book that she's got a series that she's um written called um Kenzie and Max which is sort of a slightly older children on the Sunday after Andy's gig so <coughs> we're hoping that um kids will join us on Sunday and stay around for um for Jacqueline's session as well yeah that's really great talk, talk about um you know, the importance of these kinds of festivals because we've got a lot of them now. We're really very lucky, I think, in, in Melbourne, in Victoria increasingly to have these, you know, not just amazing central, huge city-based kind of festivals but increasingly uh, ones that have grown out of quite tight communities. But the Willie Lit Fest is one of those that's been, you know, it's been quietly growing until suddenly it's just exploded. There's mm. a lot of Western um, suburbs kind of suburban writers, if you like, um, that will be represented there. But, you know, the broader literary landscape. And I can't think of anywhere better than kind of the, the western suburbs to really represent the diversity of, you know, the increasing diversity of Australian uh, writing landscape and the Australian landscape. Can, yeah. you, can you talk about that? We're, um, we're hugely lucky kind of on all fronts, if you like. We, we've got a beautiful town. Williamstown is a, a stunning location for an event like this in the gorgeous town hall, the whole beachside um Location, You know, we say to people, come and spend the day with us, but also go and explore the town. But we're also really lucky because we've got a whole bunch of, um, you know, really talented um, 
authors in Williamstown but also in the western suburbs. So, you know, Lee Hobbs is going to be joining us, Claire Saxby, who's written a zillion books, um, Enza Gandolfo, who's just put her beautiful book out, The Bridge, will be with us, Lucia Nardo, um, Andy, of course. So we've got lots and lots of um, great authors who will be there. We also try to give a platform at the festival to maybe uh, lesser-known authors. So we always have uh, spaces for book launches so that we can bring our kind of promotional might, if you like, to books that may be just getting underway. So um, Janet Howie, who's a local person, will be having a launch. Um, lovely John uh, Griffiths will be having a launch at the festival as well. So we're trying to nurture our writers along as well. Um, the library also has a great program, the Hobson's um, Homegrown Hobson's Bay, which is sort of a catalogue of local writers, if you like, and they're all labelled as such in our library and um, they'll be represented at the festival as well. And what's lovely about it, the town hall provides a little hub in the middle of it all so that after the sessions you can hang around, you can meet the writers, uh, you can go up and tell them your life story. They love to hear that. but it's, it's got the feeling, I remember Melbourne Writers Festival back in the late 80s. It was yeah. at the Kino Cinema and there were just two cinemas and a central meeting hub. Um, this is what this has got so that you can, um, yeah, it's very personal. So that's what I love about it. You can just hang out in between sessions, yeah. get some uh, hot soup and Coffee, uh, buy a book. Chat. <laughs> you can waste the whole day there <laughs> without even going to a session. Uh, if you've just joined us and you're wondering what is going on and who these wonderful voices are, um, you're listening to the voices of Lorraine Callow and the author Andy Griffiths, they're talking about the Willy Lit Fest, which is on this weekend. Um, it's going to be a killer week next week because it's leading up to the Emerging Writers Festival. Mm. Um, and I do want to kind of look, you know, I'm a big fan of, of, uh, of writing festivals, um, writers festivals, book festivals. I think they serve a really important role still in, you know, in terms of bringing together, you know, both readers and also writers uh, increasingly I think when people are isolated and um, don't necessarily have that much support for their their writing craft, it it can be quite a a lonely thing. But, you know, but this is a really important element. Um, You know, what sorts of things are are the Willie Letfest focusing on specifically for things like the craft of writing? I think I've I've seen um, one of the panels is called Keep Writing and Keep Being Brave. Um, (laughs) And I just thought that was really wonderful because there are moments when you're lost in your your Mm. writing that Mm. you can be quite a challenge. Andy, perhaps Mm. you can speak to this because obviously you have spent a lot of time, I'm sure. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to do it and trying to learn the craft. And what I did was immerse myself in small festivals like this, courses, um, books. And the value of it to me was to go along and hear a writer talking about their craft. And you would, though it's, you know, one writer might say, I keep a very detailed journal and I not jot down everything. You know, I don't want to forget anything. And others would say, I just go in by the seat of my pants and fly and see what happens. And this confused me at first. But then I thought, ah, there's no one way to do it. Everyone's got a little part of the the key to the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And I can just put this together with that approach and figure out my own way to do it. So it gave me a lot of confidence that my way wasn't wrong Mm. Uh, because that's what you feel like. You feel everyone else is doing it right and you're doing this weird little original thing. So that's why I think it's really important. Um, and just to meet them, to see what, Absolutely. How, how a writer is in, in their 
private life, in their in real in real life, mm. and then it gives you a key into the fiction. I really love that you've brought that up because I can still remember being a kid and I was lucky enough to, to go to the sort of school that we were able to bring authors in um, and Paul Jennings uh, came and visited us and it's st- mm. it stayed with me mm-hmm. to this day that um, here is like the person behind the words. Uh, it's It was just absolutely magical, especially for sort of a budding book nerd, um, you know, to, to sort of see that, that that's where this comes from, that actually someone made that and yes. that's a person yes. and they can talk yeah. about it. Yeah. And not just that tell you how their imagination worked and how they made these amazing stories. I think there was there's one and you might remember this story about, um, you know, a stuffed toad or something, cane toad. It was really quite gross. A lot of Paul Jennings stories, much like, you know, oh, yes, bum, psycho bums. <laughs> Um, really gross and awesome. Um, you know, I think there was like a terrible sort of, you know, <laughs> stuffed cane toad thing that I just cannot get out of my head. Um, yeah. But it was delightfully done and he really just revealed the things behind it. Lorraine, as mm. someone who's curating this festival, is that something you think about a lot about the kind of experience people will have, you know, when they finally get to meet the author? And and also how do you manage that? Because authors are not necessarily always, you know, they're great at writing, they're not always obvious present company accepted um they're not always wanting to talk about themselves in their yeah. work how do you handle that's, that that's quite an interesting question um, we do put a lot of effort into thinking about the visitor experience and the and the author experience and our thing is that we try to manage our authors um and make them feel as welcome as as possible to this very warm community-based festival that's a start so making authors feel comfortable and um I think just really working with authors. Most authors do want to tell you about their books, so we try to work really hard to um, to make sure that the interviewer is a good match for the for the author. And those people are introduced prior to the festival, so they've got an opportunity to you know swap phone numbers and emails and um, be in contact prior to the event. So it's a lot of the background stuff that that makes a festival run smoothly, if you like. But we always have in our mind that we want our um, authors to have time for signing, they're introduced properly, you know, their session is closed properly. So that's all sort of the nuts and bolts of it. But the nuts and bolts goes to making, I think, a good experience for for an author. Are there a lot of free events as well that people can go to, uh, as well as the kind of the paid events that are that are out there? Sure. On Thursday night, um, we're going to kick off with the libraries. Um, they're hosting an event with homegrown authors called The Art of Discomfort. Um, that's a free event. We've got um, People's Choice is a great free event at the festival. Um, there are a number of others on our program. You can certainly hop online and, and look at those on the program. But um, we try to keep our prices low. We want to keep it um, as accessible as possible if you like and and as Andy said if you come into our festival um, into the hub it's it's a lovely warm environment we're trying to make it um coming to a literary festival thing it doesn't have to be a scary place you know what I mean you don't have to have read all of the books you can read just some of the books or you can explore the books when you get there or after the festival one of the things I love <laughs> yeah. to do as well with uh, with writers yeah. festivals is like you know stick a pin in an event you know well obviously if it's on my computer yeah. it's a bit hard but you know like something that I haven't heard of before mm. Or, mm. or an idea that really sounds yeah. fascinating. I mean, you can be introduced to things Correct. in that yes. environment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Often I don't yeah. want to read a book until I've heard the person speak and they've <laughs> yeah. got me interested yeah. in it. I didn't even know I was interested <laughs> in it until they start talking. So. And we had correspondence, yeah. I was just saying this to Andy at lunchtime, that um, uh, some festival patrons 
emailed me saying that they love the festival, we're coming on the weekend, we're not booking because sometimes the best things that we've come to have just been potluck on the weekend, which is fine. You do need to know that some of the smaller sessions will sell out, but we've got lots of things that are going on in bigger rooms the where other, we have a bit of space. The other great yeah. thing is that you can go to a session and hear someone talking about their book and then you can then speak intelligently about that book as if you've read it. <laughs> and that, <laughs> it's a time-saving <laughs> device. Because oh, I mean, we can't read everything. Oh, no, there are so many no, great books. I but it's a, it's a Well, very... that's pretty much why we're doing this show, so yeah. people can just, just <laughs> pretend they read a bunch of books. But that's the thing that... We don't want that to be a barrier. You don't have to have read the books. Obviously, we want to support authors by buying their books and reading their books. But part of it is discovering books over the weekend and... And just coming along and enjoying a lovely event, lots of sense of community, you know. And if, mm. and if nothing appeals, just go down the beach and have some fish and chips <laughs> or to the and feed the seagulls. Yeah. <laughs> or take know. a book down there with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. a lovely note to leave it on. And, um, you know, where can people find out more about uh, the Willie Lit Fest if they'd like to book tickets or just find out more about it? On the website, so willylitfest.org.au will take you to um, the program. If you're a print person, you can even download program a print home version is available there um you can book online and you can book on sorry over the weekend at the festival the box office will be open as well but um just know some of those smaller sessions are starting to sell out the larger ones have got a little bit more room that's great uh, lorraine callow and, and andy griffiths thank you so much for joining us on backstory thank you very thank much thank you very much You've been listening to Backstory on 3 Triple R. I'd like to thank uh, my wonderful guests today, uh, Intan Paramedita and, of course, the wonderful Annie Griffiths and Lorraine Callow talking about the Willie Lip Fest. I'm Mel Cranenberg. Thank you once again. I'll be back next week. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3 Triple R, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.